Remember that your most important identity relates to your divine nature as a child of God. This is intrinsic to who we are. It's spiritually genetic, inherited from our heavenly parents, and requires no effort on our part. This is our most important identity, regardless of how else we choose to identify ourselves. At times like that, just look up and leave. It's up to us to go down the road that leads us back home. It's up to us to see we already are what we want to be. Don't give in to what others say. Sees the moment right here and now. Never forget what Elder Renlund testified of, that your divine nature as a son or daughter of God is your most important identity, no matter what others say of us or maybe what we say of ourselves. Welcome back to the Worth of Souls podcast. I'm Andrea. And I'm Brent. And today we are covering thought habit number nine, daily repentance, turn back to God and live. The last couple of lessons, we went into the power of agency that I am a temple president over my own temple, and I have power over what I think, feel, and do. We also looked at how important it is to remember that I don't have any power over what others think, feel, and do. How did you do as a temple president over the last few days? Were you able to see any progress in being responsible for the feelings that you're generating inside yourself and not taking responsibility over other people's feelings and emotions? We have a good friend that shared her thoughts about applying these principles in her own family. Her name is Holly. Quote, we were having a lot of rebellion from our oldest daughter, and I was just twisted up inside about it. I was receiving several phone calls weekly from different school officials or neighbors about something else that that my daughter had done. I didn't know what to do, and I was beside myself. I was trying to own the emotions of everyone around me and trying to control her choices. Then the Lord in state conference gave me a big tender mercy. A brother gave a talk about his children. He shared how they did everything they thought was right in raising their kids. But after their kids left home, several of their children left the church. I was on the edge of my seat while he was talking because of so many similar emotions I was going through. He then said this, One day the Spirit came to me and told me, You are not required to save your children. You are only required to love your children. Leave the saving to the Savior. There is only one Savior, and it's not you. That statement hit my heart so much. I went home and I prayed and turned to the Lord about what he wanted me to do in these hard situations with my daughter. The Spirit told me the next time that I received a phone call from a parent about something my daughter did, that I didn't need to own it or try to solve their feelings. I only needed to say, thank you so much for telling me. I just love her. Isn't she amazing? Soon the Lord gave me the opportunity to practice. A couple days later, someone called me and told me something else that they saw her involved in. And I listened, and then I said, Thank you for telling me. I just love her so much. Isn't she amazing? My reply shocked the mother on the phone. And then she softened, and she replied, Holly, I think she is amazing too. I love her too. When I stopped trying to be in charge of what others were telling me about my daughter— and I started I started finding peace. I stopped trying to be in charge of their opinion about her, and I just focused on loving her. We have a long road ahead of us with her behaviors, but I know Jesus is working on saving her, and I am working on loving her. That is my work. Close quote. I'm just inspired by Holly. <laughs> I love her and how she's choosing to love her daughter within her stewardship assignment. She was having a hard time with those parenting programs like we mentioned last time. And when she got refocused on changing her motives, building that relationship and glorifying God, she found the solutions that she needed. You can always tell when someone is becoming spiritually focused because the spiritual dimension helps them find solutions. 
All of the solutions come from the spiritual world. We know that to be true. We hope that you can see the progress that is happening for you as you're putting these principles into practice in your daily life. Please share any inspiring moments that have occurred for you on our Facebook or on our Instagram page. We love hearing about them. Okay. Today we are talking about the joy of repentance and what repentance really means for us in our daily lives. What does repentance mean? Hopefully, by the end of this lesson, you will have a much broader definition than the one that you have now. Our Savior invites us to come unto Him, and to do that, He tells us some specific things. Let's go to 3 Nephi chapter 9, where the Lord is speaking. He says this, quote, Therefore, whoso repenteth and cometh unto me as a little child, him will I receive, for of such is the kingdom of God. Behold, for such I have laid down my life and have taken it up again. Therefore repent and come unto me, ye ends of the earth, and be saved. Close quote. When we come unto him, he tells us to be able to do that, we have to become as a little child. The scriptures answer for us what that means, what it means to become like a little child. In Mosiah 3.19, it says, And becometh as a little child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child does submit to his father. So what does it mean to be willing to submit to all things that the Lord seeth, seeth fit to inflict upon us? It means that we are ready and willing to accept whatever comes into our life in the moment, in the day, as part of God's plan for our spiritual growth. So if my child calls and reports that they have gotten in a car accident, that's part of God's curriculum for my spiritual growth and for theirs. When I find out that my college application was rejected, that is part of God's curriculum for my spiritual growth. If we see these things spiritually, then we are able to transcend the temporal world and the battles that show up there and overcome with the help of the, our best friends in the spiritual world. Those things that the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon us are the enticements and the adversities that we have talked about. And when we choose to see all these temporal world experiences for our growth, then we find the power of Jesus Christ will be manifested in our lives. In the very first lesson of the podcast series, we talked about the fact that we operate on the idea that it's not what's happening around you that we want to focus on. But it, it's what's happening inside of you within all of those things going on around you and what we do with those emotions that help us to transcend this temporal world and the battle that we're engaged in. In a very, very, very real way, we are in a battle with the enemy of our souls each and every day. And it can feel overwhelming at times because it feels like we're surrounded on all sides by the great and spacious building whose fiery darts are raining down on us from every direction. Hopefully, hopefully you've been able to see that through your practice of some of the thought habits we've already discussed, that you can actually use those challenges, the fiery darts that are common in this fallen world to become closer to Christ, to become one with Christ. And another weapon in our arsenal is daily repentance. Daily repentance is a huge part of the armor of God that we get to put on every day in order to transcend the world around us. Elder Burton, who was an assistant to the Quorum of the Twelve, had a unique perspective on repentance because he was tasked with preparing applications to be put before the First Presidency for consideration of rebaptism after someone had been excommunicated. He taught us this. My present assignment as a general authority is to assist the First Presidency. I prepare information for them to use in considering applications to readmit transgressors into the church and to restore priesthood and or temple blessings. Many times a bishop will write, I feel he's suffered enough. But suffering is not repentance. Suffering comes from lack of complete repentance. A stake president will write, I feel he's been punished enough. But punishment is not repentance. Punishment follows disobedience and precedes repentance. A husband will write, my wife has confessed everything. 
But confession is not repentance. Confession is an admission of guilt that occurs as repentance begins. A wife will write, my husband is filled with remorse. But remorse is not repentance. Remorse and sorrow continue because a, because a person has not yet fully repented. But if suffering, punishment, confession, remorse, and sorrow are not repentance, what is repentance? He brought up several things about repentance that are misconceptions in our culture, like punishment, remorse, and suffering. If these things are not repentance, then we want to follow up on the question he asked, what is repentance? Well, and luckily, our prophet, President Nelson, gave a talk on exactly that. He called it, we can do better and be better. And he said this. Too many people consider repentance as punishment, something to be avoided, except in the most serious circumstances. But this feeling of being penalized is engendered by Satan. The word for repentance in the Greek New Testament is metanoeo. The prefix meta means change. The suffix noeo is related to Greek words that mean mind, knowledge, spirit, and breath. Thus, when Jesus asked you and me to repent, he is inviting us to change our mind, our knowledge, our spirit, even the way we breathe. He's asking us to change the way we love, think, serve, spend our time, treat our wives, teach our children, and even care for our bodies. Nothing is more liberating, more ennobling, or more crucial to our individual progression than is a regular, daily focus on repentance. Repentance is not an event, it's a process. When he gave this talk, I was so excited because he totally reinforced what we all need to know about repentance. Too often in our church culture, we think of repentance as something that we only practice if we have done something really bad that we need to repent of. But that is only part of what repentance really is. So why is it that repentance is so misunderstood in our culture? Elder Burton, in that same talk, addressed that there are some misunderstandings and confusing and confusions that have come as a result of the New Testament being translated from Greek into Latin. Here, an unfortunate choice was made in translation. The Greek word metanoeo was translated into the Latin word poenitiere. The Latin root poen in the word is the same root that we find in our English words punish, penance, penitent, and repent, repentance. Notable that the early saints of, of this church were converts from the Church of England with, with heavy Protestant beliefs in their background. That is the Latin Bible. So for many the people in our faith, repentance has always meant punishment. But repentance is not punishment. President Nelson said that perfectly. Daily repentance is liberating. It really does change the way we breathe. Because when we daily repent, it means that we turn back to God and live. And we do that immediately. We become spiritually focused. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the word that they used for repentance is shub, which means turn back. Prophet after prophet wrote about shub, that turning back to the Lord, when we can be received with joy and rejoicing. Ezekiel used the word shub and and really helps us to understand the passage that he gave us in chapter 33 so much better when we understand that he's talking about turning back to God and living. When we make mistakes in our daily lives, because, you know, all of us do, welcome to the world program. <laughs> After you have made a mistake, if you condemn yourself, put yourself down, feel horrible about it, beat yourself up for your weaknesses, then that's not repentance. You're not in a repentant state and not becoming as a little child. Those feelings are all part of a temporal focus. Part of what shub means is that we get to leave regret, sorrow, and despair behind us. And we get to discover the joy of daily repentance and turning back to God. 
the adversary is cheering you on when you beat yourself up about the things you do wrong. That is a battle tactic that he uses on us all the time. He wants you to keep natural man thought habits. He does not want you to use Christ-like thought habits. When you arm yourself with righteousness in your thoughts, using a spiritual focus, then when Satan throws something at you, it really does. It can just bounce right off of you in a repentant living state. If God isn't punishing us then, why is it that we feel bad when we have sinned or made a mistake? The main reason for those feelings is because when we sin, we leave the light. We go into spiritual darkness because of a, a result of what we have done. And with that, there, there are just certain consequences. If you're seeing this on video, we have an exhaustive list of 26 things <laughs> that are consequences that we get to go through when we leave the light. But we really are just going to read a few of them right now. When you sin, some of the consequences are that the spirit withdraws from us. You feel remorse and you feel guilt, a feeling of despair, feeling miserable and no hope for the future. There's sometimes you feel afraid that your sins are going to be discovered by someone, even if it's just having a really messy house and you don't want people to come over and see your messy house, you know, <laughs> constantly looking for excuses for my sins is another thing that could come up. We can lose previous light and knowledge that we had. We put ourselves in a position where we can't hear the spirit and we can become past feeling. And we also must pay for our own sins and suffer as Christ suffered. We are going to experience these consequences for however long we choose to be in spiritual darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but none of these things appeal to me very much. <laughs> and Brent and I have personally gone through many of these consequences on varying levels and can speak for the fact that staying in the light, it, it is a much easier way to live. It is an easier way to live. It is always easier to stay in the light. When we make mistakes, it's always best to leave that temporal focus and go to a spiritual focus as quickly as we possibly can because we are going to experience really incredible positive consequences when we choose a spiritual dimension. Again, we have an extensive list of those positive consequences, but we'll just name a few. If I choose to turn back to the light after I have sinned and made a mistake, I will Again, feel God's love abundantly at all times. I will be blessed in all things, temporally and spiritually. I am going to feel forgiveness feelings and the guilt feelings are going to be gone. I'm going to feel the peace that passeth understanding. I will be privileged to meet the Savior at his coming or I will be called forth in the morning of the first resurrection. My very nature will be changed and I will lose all desire for sin. And I will find that all things are working together for my good. And I will be able to embrace the adversities in this life with enthusiasm because I'll understand that they're all here for my good. These positive consequences occur when we are spiritually focused. All of these evidences show me that I want to choose daily repentance. I want to choose to turn back to God and live every day and stay in that light. Do we have to commit major sins in order to repent? No. President Nelson said this about that. Whether you are diligently moving along the covenant path, have slipped or stepped from the covenant path, or can't even see the path from where you are now, I plead with you to repent. Experience the strengthening power of daily repentance, of doing and being a little better each day. When we choose to repent, we choose to change. We allow the Savior to transform us into the best version of ourselves. We choose to grow spiritually and receive joy, the joy of redemption in Him. When we choose to repent, we choose to become more like Jesus Christ. My favorite part of what he said here is that we allow the Savior to transform us into the best version of ourselves. I really love that wording. It's full of so much hope. 
<laughs> I have a really good friend, Sarah, that whenever I mention we're having a conversation and maybe I mention that I'm having a little bit of a hard time with something, she will immediately jump in and ask me, well, Andrea, have you repented? <laughs> and sometimes she'll jump at me with that question out of nowhere. <laughs> but every time she asks me, Andrea, have you repented? And when I'm humble enough to listen, I can always see that I do need to choose to repent, to become more like Jesus Christ, to just turn back to God into the light and live because it is a joy and it isn't cumbersome when I counsel myself with the truth about what repentance really is. How would it be if in church, when we saw each other on Sundays, you know, we could walk down the hall and I could see Sister Smith and say, Sister Smith, so how's your repentance going? Tell me about what you repented of this last week. In our culture now, we would assume that Sister Smith had done something majorly wrong or something. But no, that's not the principle that we're talking about here. Repentance simply means that we're choosing to stay in the light and choosing to leave the temporal world and going to the spiritual world. Do you, do you remember in thought habit number two that when we talked about how to create low feelings of self-worth, that exercise of going through understanding how to create that, and remember that when we did that, once you could really see where you were creating low feelings of self-worth, how much easier it was to recognize it so that you could stop doing it and move forward and create high feelings of self-worth. Well, we're going to do the same kind of exercise now with talking about worldly sorrow. Um, we need to understand what it takes to create worldly sorrow so that when we find ourselves participating in this program, per se, that we can stop and we can get out of the darkness and back into the light and counsel ourselves with the truth. So to create worldly sorrow, we do a few different things. The first thing we do is that we sin and we make a mistake. You know, we do something dumb. We succumb to our weakness. We eat too much chocolate. I don't know. Whatever it is you're trying to overcome. <laughs> the small things and the big things are all included. The second thing that we do in worldly sorrow is that we focus on that mistake or the sin. And it's a temporal focus. And you keep focusing on it. And you wonder why you did that. And, and, and then what happens when you focus on that mistake. It's like the Christmas story that we told in the last lesson when Brent was focusing on how he just did all these things that were wrong. Well, you will create negative feelings in your temple. This is the third step of worldly sorrow. When we focus on those mistakes, we create those negative feelings and, and we use those feelings to determine our worth and how Heavenly Father feels about us. And then fourth, we go into using those negative feelings to condemnation and we condemn ourselves, and we go into self-counseling sessions that are negative and, and horribly depressing. And we go to, the, to that self-condemnation cycle that we talked about in thought habit number three. I'm sure all of us can identify with all of these things in worldly sorrow because we've slipped into this at some point in our lives, either for something that we're trying to get over and past a big sin or just that small weakness that really only we and, you know, me and the Lord know about. When we go through these steps of worldly sorrow, it gives us results, the results of feeling worthless feeling guilty, feeling like we don't want to pray, feeling despair and depressed and feeling like you're not worthy and all of those darkness feelings. Now, believe us, going into spiritual darkness after we make a mistake, it creates enough consequences. We do not need to add to it by creating worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is not required for our exaltation. What is required for our exaltation is daily repentance. We must turn our mind and our heart away from our mistake and sin and come into God and live, and to do this with a spiritual focus. Ezekiel says it beautifully in Ezekiel 18, verses 30 through 32. He says, Repent and turn yourselves from all, tra all your transgressions. 
so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. We want to read that again. And this time, insert your name instead of Israel. So it would sound like this. Make a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O Brent? By being temporally focused. (laughs) I have no pleasure in your death. Turn yourself to me and live. Who wants us to condemn ourselves and put ourselves down? It's Satan. He wants us to do that so that we will stay temporally focused and go deeper into darkness by continuing that self-condemnation cycle. Who invites us to come unto him? When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were hiding after their transgression, the Lord asked them, where are you? Yeah, I always love that. Hello. Like, like where he did didn't you go? Know. <laughs> like, like he didn't know where they were. <laughs> he wants to see us and love us and help us come back to the light of the spiritual world so he can help us. The Lord reaches out to us all the time, but our agency requires that he must wait for us to turn away from focusing on our mistakes and reach upward for his help. So at this point, we want to talk about the steps of true repentance and what that means for us. First, um, the first step, we will recognize that we have sinned. It's the same step as worldly sorrow. We sin, we make a mistake, and you feel remorse and feel badly about it. The second step is different from worldly sorrow. It's when we abandon the sin. And abandoning the sin means to turn to the light. Then the third is that we confess our sin. We tell ourselves the truth and tell others the truth. And then fourth is make restitution for that sin. And fifth is we bring forth fruit, meat for repentance with a changed heart, becoming a new creature within our Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to take some time and go into detail about every single one of these steps because of how important they really are. Okay, so step number one in repentance is recognizing that we have sinned and we've made a mistake. Most of the time, when we do something to drive away the Spirit, we do one of two things. The first is we often will blame others for a mistake that we made. They made me so mad. Or something more serious like, my wife won't pay any attention to me, so I've decided to look at pornography. We talked about this in detail in disowning. Obviously, we know this takes our freedom away. Recognize when you have made a mistake and tell yourself the truth because the truth gives you the freedom to get back into the light instead of deeper into darkness. Use the skill of separating your worth from performance here. The other thing that we will often do when we have made a mistake is go into a self-condemnation, really dig into that remorse and the guilt. If we choose that temporal self-counseling session, we say things to ourselves like, I am never going to make it. I can't believe I made that mistake again. I'm never going to get over my sins. I might as well give up. I'm a horrible person. This is self-condemnation, and it produces darkness. The Savior recommends that we judge ourselves righteously. Recognizing that I have made a mistake gives me the freedom to go to the light instead of the condemnation. And we can pray things like, Father, I made a mistake. I feel really awful about it, but I need you now. Help me to get back into the light so that I can feel your love again. When we, what we have been told in the scriptures is that we will feel a remorse of conscience when we make a mistake. Let's read about that in Alma 42, what he tells us. He says, quote, Now there was a punishment affixed and a just law given, which brought remorse of conscience unto man. Close well, quote. And he's talking about that after talking about Adam and Eve's transgression. Um, and, and that he set that system specifically up for a really good reason. That's right. And if I understand this Properly, those guilt feelings, that remorse of conscience, has a purpose in my life. These feelings are a warning system that Father has put in place so that when the Spirit withdraws, 
so that I don't have his light, I can recognize that that's a warning for me that I need to repent. A quick example of this might be when you strike a match and it burns down to until it reaches your fingers, your body automatically lets go of the match because of the pain. It's a reaction. It's a system set up so that our body can protect itself. It's a warning system. It is the same with guilt feelings. When we feel the pain of guilt or remorse of conscience, after we have made a mistake and the spirit has withdrawn from us, it's meant as a warning for us to look at what we've done and get back to the light as quickly as possible. Right. It's not meant. Guilt feelings can actually be a really beautiful aid. They can be a very beautiful aid for us when we use them the right way instead of lunging ourselves into darkness because of them. That's right. Let's actually look at an analogy that Elder Uchtdorf gave in his talk, Daily Restoration. He said this. Is it interesting how small, seemingly insignificant factors can make a major difference in our lives? I know this from personal experience as a pilot. Every time I started the approach to an airport, I knew that much of my remaining work would consist of making constant minor course corrections to safely direct the aircraft to our desired landing runway. You may have similar experience when driving a vehicle. Wind, road irregularities, imperfect wheel alignment, inattentiveness, not to mention the actions of other drivers, all can push you off your intended path. Fail to pay attention to these factors and you may end up having a pretty bad day. Just like Elder Uchtdorf said, those warning feelings of guilt and remorse are to help us know we need to make minor course corrections in our daily lives. Some of us, when we realize that we need course corrections, can really beat ourselves up in self-condemnation. The warning system that God gave us was never meant for that. It's not meant to plunge us into darkness and create worldly sorrow. When we feel those guilt feelings because we've done something wrong, rejoice because that is the Lord reminding you to turn back to him, to turn to his loving arms so that he can help you make those quirks corrections. Like we mentioned in a previous lesson, we know a lot of saints over the years that have lost their way because they chose to focus on those guilt feelings and the darkness that that brought into their lives. And consequently, they blamed the church for feeling those constant negative feelings every time they came to, to be with the saints. And it, quote, felt better when they didn't go to church anymore. If you have ever been caught up in that lie of the adversary, please know that this is not God's way. God is a loving father, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He wants to know where you are because he can help you. You just have to choose to turn back to him and his light. I love that discussion of guilt feelings, especially as a woman, because women tend to do that a lot <laughs> with lots of different things. And it's just freeing to know that whenever any of those things come up, that it's just that reminder. It's the pattern interrupt to turn back to God and live. Repentance step number two, that is abandoning the sin means to turn to the light in both thought and deed. Let's take the example of someone who is addicted to pornography again. We can't abandon the sin of viewing pornography by focusing on how horrible of a person that we are because we did something wrong again. When we use our sins to go to worldly sorrow, we are wrapping our emotions around the sin. We're not abandoning it. And then the sin controls us. And the only way to satisfy those horrible feelings temporarily is by turning to the sin and viewing porn again. Obviously, this is not the Lord's way. The Lord recommends to turn to the light. And when we repent and abandon the sin, it means that we look to the Savior for our redemption. Here's an example of a prayer that an addict could say when he or she is trying to abandon their sin and go to the light. Father, please forgive me. I have sinned and I have given into my addiction again. I know better, but I have been weak. Please help me to get back into the light. I want to feel your perfect love for me right now. I want to turn my thoughts to the atonement of my Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And I know that you always invite me to reach to you. And when I am in darkness and feel the darkness, it means I've turned away from you because of my sin. And it might take time and effort to make it through that darkness. But please give me the strength that I need to make that effort to return my thoughts to you and return my thoughts to the Savior. Alma the Younger, he gave us some excellent insight about the difference between focusing on our sins and worldly sorrow and the power that comes when we abandon the sin or turn to the light of our Savior. At first, he was stuck in a temporal focus of self-condemnation, and he described this. It's in Alma 36. We'll start in verse 12. But I was racked with eternal torment, for my soul was harrowed up by the greatest degree and racked with all my sins. Yea, I did remember all my sins and iniquities, for which I was tormented with the pains of hell. Yea, I saw that I had rebelled against my God and that I had not kept his holy commandments. Yea, I had murdered many of his children, or rather led them away unto destruction. Yea, and in fine so great had been my iniquities that the very thought of coming into the presence of my God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. Oh, thought I, that I could be banished and become extinct, both soul and body, that I might not be brought to stand in the presence of my God to be judged of my deeds. And now for three days and for three nights was I racked, even with the pains of a damned soul. Satan here wanted Alma to be racked with torment for as long as possible. And Satan is tricky because after he gets you to beat yourself up for one thing, then he brings up all the other 2,000 mistakes that you've ever made and reminds you to beat yourself up about each one of them individually and wash, rinse, repeat in this self-condemnation cycle over and over again. And we see that Alma was doing this. Now, don't buy into Satan's program. If you have repented for a past mistake and have gone through the repentance process— Then remember what the Savior said to you in DNC 58, that I, the Lord, remember them no more. So let's go back to Alma the Younger. What happened? Did he stay in the pain of his sins? Let's read about what happened. Verse 17, And it came to pass that as I was thus racked with torment, while I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins, behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one, Jesus Christ, a son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now, as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. And now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. Now here... Did Alma keep reminding himself of all of his sins, and when he reminded himself of all of those sins, that that pushed him into the light? No, obviously, no. Reminding himself of all of his sins and staying racked with that torment is not what helped him get to the light. It tells us that when he focused on the Savior, when his mind caught the thought of Jesus, I love that. He prayed for relief. And how fast did the relief come? Immediately. Jesus took the pain of Alma's sins away immediately. He, we're told he was one of the greatest sinners. And Jesus took his pain away immediately. And I believe, actually, that Alma could have gotten relief before those three days were done if he had caught hold of the thought of Jesus sooner. 
or the opposite. He could have been racked with the pains of hell for much longer than those three days if he had been staying in that worldly sorrow cycle. Well, I think it's a misnomer in the church when we share this story about Alma the Younger that he was just, he had this special calling like Paul, and that's why he had this experience. But the rest of us, we have to suffer for our sins. And and not get this this three day experience or this miraculous experience, and that's just not true. The atonement is immediate. If you turn to God and live, you will get into the light immediately. It is an immediate experience, but you have to choose to make that turn. The immediate goodness of God. I mean, and the concept. We'll talk about the consequences in a minute. Just because he turned immediately to Jesus didn't mean he didn't have consequences to go through, but his pain was swallowed up. Elder Holland, in an excellent talk he gave at BYU, taught us about not reviewing our past sins in the talk, Remember Lot's Wife. He said this, There is something in us, at least in too many of us, that particularly fails to forgive and forget earlier mistakes in life either mistakes we ourselves have made or the mistakes of others. That is not good. It is not Christian. It stands in terrible opposition to the grandeur and majesty of the atonement of Christ. To be tied to earlier mistakes, our own or other people's, is the worst kind of wallowing in the past from which we are called to cease and desist. When we are tempted to review our past sins, Satan wants us to abandon the atonement of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He does not want us to be in the light of our Savior. But Jesus, what does Jesus do? Jesus wants us to abandon the sin and turn to his light to catch him as in our thoughts. He wants us to be happy and spiritually focused and enjoying our day. And remember that you can daily do what Alma did and catch hold of the thought of Jesus, no matter the small transgression or the greater sin. Step number three in repentance is to confess your sin. Confessing your sin takes effort and patience to get back into the light. We have been witness to many people in our circle of friends who are part of the AA community and have seen how amazing they are at this particular step in repentance. Someone who is working their program, as they refer to it, is very brutally honest about the mistakes that they make, especially if they give in to their addiction again. Honesty gets us into the light. Because, as we talked before, it is Satan who wants us to hide. He wants us to have that fig leaf. The Lord invites us to come into his light. He's always asking us, where are you? And honesty brings us into that light and eliminates Satan's power over us because he's the one that's trying to get us to hide. There is no fault finding, no condemning that is necessary in in this process. We know from the example that Enos gave us, that it takes effort to make time for holiness. We don't want to give the impression that it doesn't take effort. Making time for holiness to get into the light is the most important work that we can do. But when Enos made that effort in that famous prayer, we are told that his guilt was swept away because of his faith in Christ. He caught that thought of Jesus. Elder Christofferson, in his talk, The Divine Gift of Repentance, said this about confessing and forsaking our sins. It was absolutely beautiful. He said this. Confessing and forsaking are powerful concepts. They're much more than a casual, I admit it, I'm sorry. It's a deep, sometimes agonizing acknowledgement of error and offense to God and man. Sorrow and regret and bitter tears often accompany one's confession, especially when his or her actions have been the cause of pain to someone, or worse, have led another into sin. It is this deep distress, this view of things as they really are, that leads one, as Alma, to cry out, O Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. With faith in the merciful Redeemer and His power, potential despair turns to hope. One's very heart and desires change, and the once appealing sin becomes increasingly abhorrent, 
a resolve to abandon and forsake the sin and to repair as fully as one possibly can the damage he or she has caused now forms in that new heart. This resolve soon matures into a covenant of obedience to God, and with that covenant in place, the Holy Ghost, the divine messenger of grace, will bring relief and forgiveness. One is moved to declare again with Alma, And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I do behold! Yea, my soul is filled with joy, as exceeding as was my pain. Elder Christofferson's words flow perfectly into step number four, which is to make restitution. What did Alma the Younger's restitution look like? Even though he had repented and felt such joy, he still had years of consequences. His mistakes caused many people to lose their faith. We aren't told exactly what specific consequences were for him, but we can probably fill in the gaps because we know what human nature is. I'm sure that there were several people that he tried to preach to that wouldn't listen because of the mistakes that he had made. And I'm sure there were lots of friends and maybe even family members that he had convinced to leave the church that maybe never came back. But he also put himself in position to use those enticements for his spiritual growth and to practice the thought habits of Jesus Christ while going through those consequences. One of the reasons I believe why he was such a great missionary is because of the strong feelings he had about making this restitution for the sins that he had committed and working together with Christ to help those people come back to the light. Alma dedicated his entire life. He had to practice being spiritually focused, and I'm sure that he had to work really hard on not going into vain regrets because of the mistakes that he had made. Now, with restitution in mind, if we have made a mistake of, say, getting into an argument with our spouse, the restitution will depend on what the Holy Ghost inspires us and counsels us as to how we need to repair things with that person in our life. If we've made a mistake of, say, gossiping behind someone's back that we need to repent of, that restitution might look like apologizing to that person and maybe even apologizing to the person that we gossip to. Just like when one of our children steals some candy from a store, we are going to ask them to either take the candy back or to go and pay for it. But in doing that, we're also going to help them to do that out of the love that they have for Jesus and for Heavenly Father. Well, and that leads us to step number five in repentance, which is to bring forth fruit meat for repentance. Elder Maxwell, he talked about this in his talk labeled repentance. (laughs) And he said it in only the way that he can say it so perfectly. He said this, Real remorse quickly brings forth positive indicators. Fruits meet for repentance. In process of time, these fruits bud, blossom, and ripen. True contrition brings full capitulation. One simply surrenders, caring only about what God thinks, not what they think, while meekly offering O God, make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee. Giving away all our sins is the only way we can really come to know God. Bringing forth fruit, meat for repentance, means experiencing a mighty change of heart. Just like Elder Maxwell said here of, O God, make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee. That is fruit meat for repentance. It's feeling the born-again feelings and staying in godly sorrow. The next lesson, actually, we're going to dive into this very specifically, talking about godly sorrow and becoming new creatures in Jesus Christ. So you better come back for that one. So come back for that lesson because we're going to leave it there for step number five until the next time. Now, at this point, we want to clarify something. The greater the sin we participate in, the greater the effort is required in order to overcome. Now, why? There's a magnetism pull from the temporal world that happens with any kind of weakness that we have. Let's go back to the example of pornography. 
the pull of pornography addiction is very great because when we have participated in that sin, we have fed and stimulated the physical appetites of the body and physical passions. And because of this, the more effort is required to move away from the sin and the more spiritual focus is required in order to bring forth fruit meat for repentance. Another example is someone who quit smoking years ago. I, I've known people that they'll still reach in their pocket without thinking sometimes because of the muscle memory involved. And even years after quitting, they can be triggered and tempted because of the strong urge the physical body has to go smoke. Now, the greater the sin that anybody participates in, the greater the motions of lust for that sin is created. And it equals a greater wrestle in order to make my love for Heavenly Father and the Savior greater than what I've stimulated within my body and the feelings of lust for the sin. And it isn't easy. Repenting from grievous sin, it is a process, but it can be done. And the more someone loves and serves the Master, the greater the amount of pain and suffering you can endure through your repentance process because of the love that you come to have for Jesus Christ who paid for all of those sins in full. Okay, these repentance steps are powerful for any degree of sin or transgression that's going on in your life. Remember, first you have to recognize that you've made that sin or mistake and to use the guilt feelings and that remorse of consciousness to t- to make those necessary course corrections. Then abandon the sin and know that like Adam and Eve, God wants to know where you are so he can help you to come back to his light. Then confess the sin. Tell the truth about yourself and about the weakness and make restitution when it's necessary. Make sure that you are seeking godly sorrow so that you can bring forth fruit meat for repentance or in other words, that mighty change of heart. Something else to bring up within the conversation of repentance is vain regrets. Elder Burton, in that same devotional that we talked of earlier, said this. It takes time for repentance to be final. An injury to the soul is similar to an injury to the body. Just as it takes time for a wound in the body to heal, so it also takes time for a wound of the souls to heal. The deeper the cut in the body, the longer it takes to heal. And if broken bones are involved, that healing process is extended. If I cut myself, for example, the wound will gradually heal and scab over. But as it heals, it begins to itch. And if I scratch at the itching scab, it will take longer to heal for the wound will open up again. But there's a greater danger because the bacteria on my fingers As I scratch the scab, the wound may become infected, and I can poison the wound, I can lose that part of my body, eventually even my life. Allow injuries to follow their prescribed healing course, or if serious, see a doctor for skilled help. So it is with injuries to the soul. Allow the injury to follow its prescribed healing course, without scratching it through vain regrets. If serious, go to your bishop and get skilled help. It may hurt as he disinfects the wound and sews the flesh together, but it will heal properly that way. Don't hurry or force it, but be patient with yourself and with your thoughts. Be active with positive and righteous thoughts and deeds. Then the wound will heal properly and you'll become happy and productive again. Okay, so what are vain regrets? When we have repented of any sin or mistake, no matter what they are, Vain regrets are a tactic that Satan uses to recall those past sins or mistakes. And when I go into my memory and I remember a past sin and I go into self-condemnation, that pushes me into worldly sorrow and I start to do those vain regrets. When I do this, I am abandoning the atonement of the Savior Jesus Christ. These vain regrets push me into depression a feeling of worthlessness, that self-condemnation, major guilt feelings. Satan wants me to stay there and stay focused on those, those vain regrets because the best 
way to eliminate the pain that I feel from those vain regrets, even though it only provides temporary relief, is to participate in the sin again. Like we talked about with being a porn addict or a drug addict, when you have repented, but then you go into the vain regrets and you start reliving all of that negativity and you think about all the people that you've hurt and you think about all the things you messed up. You start feeling that those worthless feelings again because of all the mistakes you made. The best way to get temporary relief is by participating in that addiction again. Vain regrets are like a poison to a repentant soul. Every single one of us needs to make the commitment right now to our Savior that we will never participate in vain regrets. Jesus Christ paid for all of your sins in full. He wants you to progress spiritually and enjoy your day. That is the purpose of repentance, to give us joy. We can't enjoy the day when we are living in vain regrets. Elder Holland, in that same talk, Remember Lot's Wife, said this about vain regrets. When something is over and done with, when it has been repented of as fully as it can be repented of, when life has moved on as it should, and a lot of other wonderfully good things have happened since then, it is not right to go back and open up some ancient wound which the Son of God himself died trying to heal. And keep in mind that vain regrets don't just attack those with addictions. Vain regrets can attack any of us if we allow them to. Sometimes we can go into vain regrets and we even create vain regrets that we never even really were participating in. That we never even did. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and like as a parent, if you have ever thought about the mistakes that you made and beat yourself up, Long after your kids are out of the house, that's a vain like if regret. If I would have done this, or I could have done that, or yeah, or or oh, if I had chosen a different career, my life could have gone a different direction. And you you beat yourself up about not getting the right education. That's a vain regret. It is never smart to judge our past based on the light that we have now. We can ruin every day if we do this. We need to accept the fact that we did the best we could based on the light that we had at the time. Do not abandon the atonement of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's time for Alma's process of change. Today, we want to invite you to plant the seed of daily repentance is joy. We don't have to sin to repent. Yeah, remember what we talked about at the beginning of the lesson. (laughs) (laughs) It means to turn back to God and live, to become as a little child. If you are getting stressed, repent. If you're feeling overwhelmed, repent. You can repent 10, 15, 20 times a day. That is what's going to help you have that spiritual focus. So awaken and arouse your faculties to see as Christ sees. To do this, we have to understand the truth. Identify when you are creating worldly sorrow compared to when you are repenting. And then review the prices that you have to pay if you, if you stay in that sin or the positive consequences if you turn to the light. Understand the truth about what guilt feelings are for that they are warning signs to help me to turn back to the light. Please spend some time reviewing those talks that we've provided. They are powerful, and they are going to help you to understand more deeply the joy of repentance. And use them in your personal study over these next few days. Then exercise a particle of faith to think as Christ thinks. Take the time to recognize how often you're lured into vain regrets or worldly sorrow. And try to use it as a pattern interrupt, per se. When you recognize that you're in the darkness, then say a prayer, repent, and get back into the light, and change those thought habits that you've got. Use the sample prayer provided to help you create different thought habits to think as Christ thinks. And when you notice yourself doing self-condemnation, like I said before, you can use the phrases of the prayer as that pattern interrupt. And even better, rewrite those phrases according to what it is that you personally need in order to reestablish some more healthy, spiritually focused thought patterns. The third step is to desire to believe and let that desire work in you so that you can feel as Christ feels. Pray for a confirmation that 
I, the Lord, remember your sins no more. Pray for that. Understand that that is real for you personally. Pray for that confirmation that repentance is not about punishment. It is about turning back to God and living. It is about joy. And use the eye of faith to see the fruits that are going to come, those positive consequences that we talked about when you choose to get back in the light. And there is a guided meditation to help you with that visualization as well. Now give place for a portion of my word and do all these things out of the love that you feel for your Savior and for your heavenly parents with searching, pondering, and praying. And don't cast the truths out by your unbelief. Satan's program of vain regrets and worldly sorrow, sorrow, they're going to try to trap you, (laughs) especially as you're going through and redoing some of your thought paradigms about repentance. Don't let Satan stop you from repenting. And also, don't let him convince you that repentance is about punishment and misery. Tell yourself the truth about the seed that you've planted in your heart, that daily repentance is a joy, and you can redo blueprints that you have in your mind about repentance. We think that you're awesome. You are. You're awesome. (laughs) We really do. It's so amazing that you are putting in this work to participate in these lessons. We are really excited about the next lesson when we are going to dive more into the concepts of godly sorrow and having that mighty change of heart. And until we talk again... Please remember that the worth of your soul is great in the sight of God. The Worth of Souls podcast is not an official publication of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you have any questions about the doctrines discussed here, please visit the church's official website for clarification.